All right, you may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. So as, as you may notice, I am not Matt Brown. Uh, my name is Kevin Eaton. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, Matt is on a much-needed vacation in Florida, visiting family, going to the beach, probably getting a suntan, and I'm jealous. No, seriously, he's having a good time. Uh, Tom is out this week, tending to family issues. So uh, if you would, pray for Tom, pray for Matt. Uh, you know, as they're, they're out this week, they, they would definitely covet your prayers. So like I said, my name's Kevin Eaton. I'm, I'm an elder here. Uh, I'm a, a engineer by trade, um, so not a public speaker by trade, so you'll have to forgive me. But uh, if you would, give me some grace, and we're going to go through actually a really interesting uh, passage of Scripture this morning. So if you would, uh, open up your Bibles to Psalm 7. So we're going to be continuing through our series in the Psalms. All throughout this summer, uh, we've been going through uh, the first part of the Psalms. Uh, Last week, we had, uh, I believe, Psalm 5. Um, And we're going to skip over 6, hit it, I believe, next week, and hit Psalm 7 this week. So um, we're going to unpack a a lament-style psalm from King David. Uh, As we work through each one of these psalms, I find it, I continue to find it interesting that God regularly uses the struggle against evil to reveal to us who he is. Instead of, us ju- instead of just saying that he is loving, that he is just, he's merciful and gracious, it appears that he wants to display these attributes against the wickedness of the world. For those who struggle with the question, why does God allow evil, perhaps that realization that, that God is best seen in comparison will shed some light on your question this morning. Another thing I want to mention before we begin today is to remind us what the purpose of God's Word is. So in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So this morning, our goal is to equip ourselves Uh, Perhaps we're going to be equipping ourselves for the battle that will take place tomorrow morning at your work, Um, or perhaps that battle will occur 20 years from now. So as we walk through our text today, be praying that, that one, God uses Psalm 7 to strengthen your your spiritual muscles, right? Uh, So that you can be a true soldier for Christ when the time comes, which someday it will, if if not already. So with that said, uh, let us read our text. Uh, We'll pray, and then we'll take a look at uh, Psalm 7. So Psalm 7, uh, the title of this, uh, if you have the ESV Bible in the bold, it says, In You Do I Take Refuge. It's a shigagon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Salah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me, you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous 
who you test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked, the, the, the wicked, wicked man conceives evil and is just He gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and his own skull, his violence descends. I will give, the, give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praises to the name of the Lord Most High. Let's pray. Father God, this morning as we look into the Psalm of David, I pray that you give us the clarity, uh, you give me the words to say, uh, let your word speak for itself. Father God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, there's a lot there. A lot of verses, 17 verses. I think this is the longest psalm we've hit so far in this, in this uh, short summer series. Uh, but the catalyst behind Psalm 7, in the very beginning, before we get to verse 1, uh, it, the, the catalyst is the slanderous words of Cush. So the introduction of Psalm 7 says, Concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite, or a Benjaminite. These words of Cush were causing problems for David. Uh, so you may be asking yourself, who is Cush, and what are the words? Well, we don't know. Uh, those, those have been lost to history. But some people have speculated that Cush, the Benjaminite, is actually King Saul. Um, son of Kish, uh, the Benjaminite. And David changes his name so that he does not respect God's first king of Israel. So King Saul hated David, absolutely hated him. Uh, his hatred towards David was out of jealousy and had no legitimate basis. So he was jealous. He was jealous that this young boy was anointed to be the next king of Israel and that Saul's family would not be. So he's extremely jealous. If you read 1 Samuel, you'll get a taste of Saul's hatred of David and his zeal to kill him. And it's definitely in the realm of possibility that David was lamenting uh, the slanderous words of Saul when writing the psalm. However, it appears that slanderous and venomous words against David were not limited to just Saul. It appears that David was constantly under verbal attack by his enemies and it appears that these words affected David greatly, for he writes about them often. All throughout the Psalms, you can see where David was under attack from people's words and actions. And then here's a few, a few examples of these. In Psalm 31, uh, verse 13, it says, For I hear the whispering of many, whispering, the slander of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. Psalm 35, 21, it says, they open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. Psalm 41.5, my enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? That's harsh. I mean, they're, they're literally asking for David's death. And he's putting this in a song like, God help me. You know, th these people are saying this about me. In Psalm 64, verses 2 through 4, it says, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting 
from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. Basically, he's saying that their tongues are like arrows. They're hurling insults and slander against him, uh, false accusations. So, uh, Psalm 143 on the same line says, They make their tongues sharp as serpents, and under their lips is the venom of asps. So an asp, if you guys don't know, is an extremely deadly snake. If you get bitten by it, especially back then, you die. So their tongues, their words are venomous. They, they can kill. So I'm sure that you guys have all heard or said the silly uh, children's rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. Who said that? Yeah, right? We all did as a kid. Somebody said something bad about you. They said something bad about your parents. Yeah, you, you, you were like, six and seven, let me break my bones, but you and there hurt me. Yeah. Um, or as my mother would say, just let those words slide off your back like water off a duck's butt. You know, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it appears that these words had an effect on David. These didn't just slide right off his back. This, this is something that he seemed to struggle with. In fact, he struggled with it, with these venomous words, enough that it they became the muse to his songs of lament and worship to the Lord. To be honest, I appreciate David's weakness. I really do. Because um, I, I, I struggle with the same thing. I like to think of myself as like a, a strong guy. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an American. I'm a man. But uh, when, when somebody accuses you of something that's false, man, it hurts. Um, and it, it, it's like an arrow to the heart. So to be fair, uh, these slanderous words of Cush did, in fact, produce tangible trouble for David. So what do I mean by tangible trouble? Well, uh, the words of Cush caused real tension in David's life. It, it wasn't just words. Uh, these things, be, uh, things became more difficult for David, for it appears that people appear to be believing the lies that, that this Cush is, is spewing, and they're going from being passive to, to being pursuers against David due to the words of Cush. And when you think about it, this makes sense. Uh, for this is the purpose of slanderous, hurtful words, to cause people to take a position against the accused. Perhaps a good way to think about uh, what David was experiencing was Cush was inciting a mob against him, whipping people into a frenzy and causing them to grab their, their pitchforks and their torches and uh, with a desire to put an end to David. But David wasn't dealing with gossip, so gossip is different than slander. Uh, gossip is bad. It's really, really bad. It can hurt, hurt people. It can hurt relationships. It can hurt the church, but it's different than slander. Uh, so let's look at the two definitions. Uh, I, I'm not going to have them on the screen, but if you just listen along. So gossip, it's a noun. This is from Webster, by the way. It's a noun. So if you don't know, you got nouns, verbs, adjectives, all this stuff. Anyway, noun. Uh, it is a casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true, okay? So it's basically, you're just talking, and it's unconstrained, just talking. Do you know I heard so-and-so about Betty and Brutus, and man, their marriage is on the rocks. You know, something like that. That's gossip, okay? Now, slander, it's also a noun, and the law definition for slander, so this is something that you can, you can be put in prison for, right? The action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. So this would be like saying, accusing someone of stealing from their job when they in fact didn't do it, right? You're, you're in it to get them. 
You're in it to cause harm to them and their family. And this is what David was, was dealing with. So again, gossip is terrible, and it can ruin friendships, and a person's reputation is something, it is a sin, but it is not always done with malicious intent. Slander is criminal. It is always false, and it is always done with malicious intent or purpose and always damages a person's reputation through false accusations. Now, David is not the only person in the Bible that has faced slander. So if you go over to the New Testament, Christ faced slander. It's been several times that through, through our study of Psalms uh, so far, but it's important to remember that all Scripture points to Jesus, every bit. From the beginning to the very end, it all points to Christ, uh, either specifically or in general. Uh, this is also true for Psalm 7. David is a person in the Old Testament that points to the greater person of Jesus. So commonly you can hear these people uh, referred to as the Old Testament shadows, right? Uh, meaning that they are not true substance, but they bear the form of the true substance. So for David, he is the shadow of the substance of the true king of Israel, Jesus. With this in mind, the slander and the venomous words against David is a foreshadowing of the slanderous and venomous words against Jesus. These slanderous words against Christ took on various forms, but here are, are some examples. So in Mark 3.22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. So they were saying this against Jesus the God in the flesh, Jesus, that he's using the power of demons to cast out demons. Now, that doesn't make sense, but it's slander. They're trying to ruin his reputation. In Matthew 26, 65 through 68, it says, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? So these words go from being, you know, the crowds calling him things that he is not to physical attacks on Christ and ultimately his death on the cross. And then in Mark 15, 29 through 32, again, Jesus faced slander. And it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So even as he's dying on the cross, they're spitting at him and spitting slander against him. Now, the slander that we're reading here in Psalm 7 against David paled in comparison to the slander against Christ. For David was a sinner, but Christ, he's a spotless lamb of God. He did not deserve one word spoken against him, not one. In the Old Testament, blasphemies against Christ. These slanderous words against Jesus continue today. Uh, you can even hear them on the news. Not only against Jesus, but also his followers. 
Uh, we have become ridiculed by association to Jesus. However, this is not a surprise. It was expected. Uh, Jesus warned his disciples of this in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, it says, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So if they call Jesus these things, how much more are they going to say about us? So being a follower of Jesus comes with maligning, comes with slandering, comes with defamation. Uh, this is the new reality for those who chose to follow Christ and be Christ-like in, in this world. So this world is fallen and broken. If you follow Christ, you can expect some things to be hard. You know, if they hated Jesus, they will hate us. So sometimes I'm surprised when Christians are beside themselves. Um, when the world, you know, hurls insults against them. To be honest with you, I'd be more concerned if they didn't. If the world wasn't hurling insults at Christians, um, it could be a sign that uh, maybe you're not a disciple of Christ, but you're a disciple of the world. Now, perhaps some of you have had firsthand experience with this, being called things like self-righteous or closed-minded or ju judgmental or hypocrite, uh, hater and bigot. So I, I, I'm not here to preach doom and gloom. That's not, that's not what I'm here to do. But unless God causes another great awakening in America, it, it appears that mocking towards Christians will most likely increase, not decrease. Therefore, if you've not been, yet been attacked, it, it may be something that occurs in the, in the near future. And like David, these words are hurled against us uh, and, and will most likely create difficulty in our lives. It's quite possible that more and more people grab their pitchforks, light their torches, and demand our lives. This is exactly what is happening in dozens of countries, dozens of nations around the world. Um, and there's no evidence or, or reason that it couldn't happen here with the right circumstances. So if that's true, how do we respond? So, we, like David, ha will have slanderous and venomous words spoken against us. So, how do we respond? A good place for us to start is to see the world as how David saw the world. So, going back to our text, in Psalm 7, uh, verses 1 and 2, David, the first thing David does, the absolute first thing, is he turns to the Lord. In verse 1, it says, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Verse 2, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rendering it in pieces with none to deliver. The first thing we see David do, the absolute first thing, is turn to the Lord. He's using the Lord as his refuge, as his shelter. Perhaps... This seems obvious, like the obvious thing to do in this situation. But for many of us, I don't think we automatically do this. I know I'm guilty of it. I don't automatically go to the Lord when something happens to me sometimes. I mean, you know, we, we should, but we have a tendency in our flesh uh, to take matters into our own hands and we respond to these verbal attacks with our flesh and not spiritually. For David, his problems were, were horizontal, right? They were with people. Uh, by that, I mean he was struggling with a relationship between him and other men. People are, see, are speaking lies, people are believing these lies, and people were acting on those lies. Instead of David responding to the horizontal threat horizontally, 
right? He didn't respond to those people. Um, he responds vertically, meaning that he turned directly to God. David realized that the solution to his problem was not going to be found in his own hands or in the hands of his counselors, his friends, or his family, but in God alone. He laid his burdens down at God's feet. And we, we have to do the same. When these things happen to us, and they will, um, that, that is the response that, uh, that we need. So in the midst of perse- persecution, our response is not to fight fire with fire. It is to seek refuge in the Lord. This must be our knee-jerk response, right? God is our shelter. He's our deliverer. And taking shelter in him, he will take care of it. He has a plan, and he will make all, work all things out for his good, right? So if there is something that is beating you down, take shelter in the Lord first. I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. He never promised us an easy life, but he did promise that he will work all things out to his good. Now, the second thing that David does, and I think this, is, this speaks more to David's character than anything, he accepts what he deserves. Or, and, and I think that's the second part of, of the Christian life is really accepting uh, of, of the punishment outside of Christ, right? So in verses 3 through, f- 3 through 5 in chapter 7, it says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Wow. So the next thing that David did was he humbled himself before God. He, he gave God permission to give him what he deserved. He told God that if he was guilty, to give him his due punishment. That's a risky prayer for David. Okay, uh, We know that David was a sinner. He's like you and me and everybody in here, he, he was a sinner. But just, but, uh, so why, why does he pray this way? It's because David, uh, for David, he had an inner desire for justice. He wanted to be held accountable if that's what was right. This is another example of how David was a man after God's own heart. David believed in justice, even at his own expense. Sometimes Christians are quick to claim persecution, when in reality, what they are receiving is exactly what they deserve. So it's not persecution, it's consequence. And those are different things. There are consequences to sin. And those you can't claim those as persecution when basically you've, you've done it to yourself. For example, a Christian may be called a hypocrite, not out of persecution, but because it's, it's true. Um, likewise, some Christians may be called unloving because they are truly unloving. Uh, there's a saying in the law that the best defense for slander is the truth, right? So if somebody is saying that you're an unloving person, but you, call, you count yourself as a Christian, um, you need to, to show the truth, right? So your, your life should show that you are a loving person. Now, in the, the last part of this passage, verses 6 through really 16, uh, it shows how the Lord judges the peoples. In verse 6, starting in verse 6, it says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me, 
you have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come and come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, who you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. The last thing we see David do is recognize his proper place in the midst of this persecution. In verse 8, David says, The Lord judges the peoples. David rightfully looked forward to the appointed time of judgment and laid down his burdens at the feet of God. David effectively let go of the situation and allowed God to be God. He trusted in God to make things right, to judge with the righteousness that only God has. Now, in the New Testament in Romans, uh, chapter 12, verse 19 through 21, it says, Beloved, never, in, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is not our purpose in life to take vengeance. So if somebody or someone is hurling slanders against you, it is not your job to make it right. This is a role reserved for God. He is the one who holds humanity accountable, and we can be rest assured that there will come a day when the scales of justice will finally be balanced. And all those who have not repented and taken refuge behind the shield of Jesus Christ, they will be required to make payment in full for all of their actions. This reality that the day is coming whereby God will set the record straight gives us the ability to be like Christ in a way, who opened not his mouth, right? We as Christians should be unoffendable. We should be unoffendable, right? And it's hard to do. It is. We need to be able to withstand whatever insults may come our way, no matter what lions track us down to attempt to devour our soul. We should be able to accept the verbal abuse with joy in our hearts because we are receiving the same affliction that our Lord received. We must be like the apostles upon the first inkling of persecution. So Christian, right? The word Christian. It's, it's basically Christ follower. If you look at the root words, I was, I was doing some research because I'd heard a different, different uh, explanations for this in the past. But Christian, uh, so Christ is the root word, right? But it's, it's actually the, the Greek, uh, the, I can't remember, I-O something. It, uh, it refers to a slave. So when you look at slavery or indentured servitude or a soldier in the Roman army's battalion under a general, it's the same, 
suffix, right? So it's not that we are, we are followers of Christ. We are indentured to him. As, as Christians, we follow him no matter what, right? And if our, our leader is getting attacked, we get attacked also. Now in Acts 5, 40 and 41, it says, When they had called the apostles they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So the apostles, when they were taken, they were taken in uh, by the Pharisees into the council, and they were beaten, uh, and they tried to charge them with blasphemy. They didn't. Uh, And then they counted themselves worthy. The apostles did not leave the council with their heads down, their tail between their legs, saying, woe is me, and wondering why they were being beaten and persecuted. They left rejoicing. They were like singing, right? (laughs) They had just been beaten in jail, and they were singing as they were leaving. They had been beaten for proclaiming the name of Jesus and preaching the gospel. And if you read this in Acts 5, after they leave, they were told not to speak the name of Jesus again. You know what they, they did right after that? They went into a courtyard and preached immediately after, after just being beaten, right? They were like, all right, cool. That was, that was a nice beating. Praise God. Let's go, let's go tell people about Jesus. Like, it's awesome. Um, they counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus in recognition of their own unworthiness and the gift that they have been given which not, cannot be earned. So let's be like David, who ends the psalm in, in a similar fashion, Right? Psalm 717, it says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. So before we dismiss, we're going to sing one more song. So let's prepare our hearts for praise, knowing that God is in control. He is our refuge. And though we may be persecuted, we may be looked down on by today's society, we serve a risen Savior and a holy, righteous God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for sending Christ to, to be the, the bridge between our, our broken sin and you. That he paved the way so that we could be in right standing with God the Father. Lord, as we, we sing this last song, I pray that you give us all the strength to be bold, to go out into our community and speak the truth, to not be afraid, not shrink away, and not worry about things people will say about us because we know the truth and we have the message that could save and transform people's lives. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.